deflating fake news hysteria on Facebook. And who needs facts when you have belief? This is episode 54 of Media Unplugged, the podcast that goes behind the spin to reveal what's really happening in media. Media Unplugged with Tom A. Sacker and Mark Ramsey. Welcome to Media Unplugged. I'm Mark Ramsey. And if this is really Media Unplugged, I'm Tom Asaker. I know. Is it or is it? Could this be fake Media Unplugged, Tom? You, you never know. It's easy well, to do. Look, the fact that we're at episode 54 means it can only be fake because how <laughs> could we possibly survive that far? That's true. Here, of course, the uh, poll position topic is the controversy over fake news on Facebook, or as I like to term it, the hysteria over fake news on Facebook. And I think it's worth pointing out, Tom, right at the uh, get-go that... There was no conversation about this at all until the day after the election. Did you notice that? Oh, no. <laughs> That's exactly what brought it to everyone's full attention and visceral <laughs> attention, right? <laughs> it, was like a, a, it was like just an enormous communal, how could this happen? Oh, it's got to be that. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I just thought it was so interesting, all the controversy before the election, but not any of it swirled around a topic that seems to be getting endless, you know, digital link afterwards. So there's, there are just numerous topics or uh, 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 articles on this. So let's begin with uh, Mark, Zuckerberg's, Mark Zuckerberg's take on it, which, of course, is that, listen, he says, and I quote, of all the content on Facebook, more than 99% of what people see is authentic. Only a very small amount is fake news and hoaxes. Now, my first question is, what does he mean by the word authentic? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Look, so does authentic mean that it represents someone's true beliefs? Does yes. authentic mean that it's supported with unquestionable evidence? And, and here's my thing. Who exactly is reviewing the 99% of this stuff to prove its authenticity? So this is funny, but guess what? What he said was fake news. What do you mean? What Mark Zuckerberg said, that 99% of what people see on Facebook is authentic, was a bullshit statement. It's fake news. I see. <laughs> you see what I mean? I do. Of course I see what you mean. But he so, doesn't see the irony. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully one of his people won't filter that out of everyone's news feed either. <laughs> so he feels certainly that it's unlikely that any of this stuff sway the election. And by the way, I don't know what your take is on that, but I couldn't agree more. There's no way that stuff swayed the election. Do you feel otherwise? Uh, look. Swayed the election? <laughs> well, look, Mark, look, so here's the thing. I don't, it doesn't matter whether what's put out there is authentic or not. I mean, what people read, see, and hear, it affects them. I mean, listen, you could argue mm -hmm. that this whole idea that Iraq had the capability and the ambition to produce weapons of mass destruction you could, you could argue that that was fake news, mm -hmm. and that was in the New York Times. And look at the devastating consequences of that. So True. did a bunch of Catholics hear that the Pope endorsed Trump and then decided, ah, the hell, I'll vote for him? I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. It could be. I, I, you're, you're making people out to be way more rational than they are. Oh, and I think as we go through this me? article, <laughs> you'll see. Oh, that. no, I am, I am not. No, I, let's, let's discuss this in more, uh, with more zeal then because I don't feel that way at all. First of all, let's talk about what he intends to do about this. The general takeaway from the lengthy Facebook post on this is that the social network plans to be more proactive 
in identifying and removing fake news articles from users' feeds moving forward. Until now, it has primarily relied on users to report and flag inaccurate stories. And as you well know, Tom, people are sharing things that they don't even read. They just see the title. They agree with the title. They want to express that opinion they agree with with others, and so they click share. So it has nothing to do with the veracity of the material. It has to do with whether or not it resonates with your pre-existing disposition. That's right? right. So in any event, now Facebook is becoming a news editor, if it, ever, if it wasn't ever before. Now Facebook is clearly a media company, if it wasn't ever before. <laughs> Here's some of the bullet points uh, that he said, some of the changes. Number one, adding a warning label to stories that users have flagged as inaccurate. <laughs> All that means is everybody that disagrees is going to flag the hell out of everything. Of course. So everything's going to say inaccurate from now on. Not only that, but we all know how well that worked on the side of a cereal, of a uh, cereal, of a, a side of a cigarette uh, pack. Right. I'm sure it'll work just as well here. Working with more third-party fact-checking organizations because that worked extremely well when those fact-checkers were had their opinions aired on uh, on cable television. Oh yeah. Improving the accuracy of quote related articles end quote that it suggests for users to read. <laughs> what is he trying to turn this into Wikipedia? I, you know, whatever makes money. Blocking fake news distributors from paying to promote their content, which, of course, you know, obviously, if you remove the financial incentive, that may have some impact, although not for those people who are doing things out of personal zeal rather than personal financial. Oh, no, no, but he says paid. What he's not saying is he's going to prevent them from posting and getting click throughs. And that's where they're getting their money. That's right. That, that's true. That's absolutely true. So in other words, if you have a platform that's making all your money on your own platform rather than, you know, on some other platform, you're st- as long as those click-throughs come, you're still going to monetize on your <laughs> yeah, own platform, right? That's right. Um, building better algorithms to automatically detect fake news, whatever that means. It sounds a lot like making America great again, doesn't it? I wish it? I had that algorithm <laughs> with my kids were little. I could have run them through. <laughs> What's what's so interesting, there's just so much to talk about here, and so much of it adds up to nothing. There was a piece in BuzzFeed that said, this analysis shows how fake election news stories outperformed real news on Facebook. In other words, you may not like the idea that news can be fake, but it's so much more popular when it is. So here's the piece. The BuzzFeed uh, news analysis found that top fake election news stories generated more total engagement on Facebook than top election stories from 19 major news outlets. During these critical months of the campaign, 20 top-performing fake election stories from hoax sites and hyper-partisan blogs generated almost 9 million shares, reactions, and comments on Facebook. By comparison... The 20 best-performing election stories from 19 major news websites generated a total of just over 7 million shares, reactions, and comments. So in other words, Tom, (laughs) it's our own fault. We want this stuff. We want to share this stuff. We want to react to this stuff. And it leads to the question, I think uh, there was one point made here. Well, of course, uh, even Zuckerberg said, of course people want accurate news. Well, (laughs) who concluded that? Look, listen, this is what he's missing. So people, first of all, I mean, think about it. Kids know this. So if you've got a bunch of kids and you're standing around and, and you want them to like get, be engaged with you, you don't say, hey, you know, I heard milk's going to go up a couple cents next week. You don't say that. You said, look, there's some killer. I found his shoe in the woods. You know, you make some crazy <laughs> thing up. But So we've known this since we were little. 
But what's going on with the information that we do seek out now is that we're so overwhelmed with all this conflicting information and we do not know who to trust. I mean, we've lost trust in everyone, everyone, media, politician, actors, it doesn't matter. So this mental confusion is causing us to pick and choose information that best suits our particular desires, our identity. And the interesting thing is it's like people don't know this. The motivated actors out here, the, like the politicians and the marketers, they're using media to tap into that confusion and give us something to hang on to. Mm-hmm. It's, Mark, it's no different than like drug addicts and drug suppliers. So the users love to click on and share this fake news because it gives them the feeling that what they were looking for confirms, you know, what they believe, what they want right. to be true. It's, and they want to one, sp- Right. It's one big communal C. That's it. <laughs> and, and they want to spread it to say, I'm right. See, I'm, the, I'm good. I'm right. I'm this. All about their identity. And, and guess what? On the other end, it's really easy to set up a profitable business to send that stuff out there and to so, attract it. So here's the question I have then, Tom. Then why all the hubbub? Then who are these people who say, wait a minute, I expect news to be clearly labeled as such, news to be indifferent, news to be neutral, news to be balanced, news to be authentic, real, true. Who are these people who expect that? And why do they expect it now when it's, you know, frankly, uh, it really isn't even the history of news if you go back long enough. Look, you know who it is and you know why. I, it's ironic and honestly, it's, it's really kind of funny. So, so the, the late night, this is what's funny to me. So the late night comics, they love when somebody gets elected who quote unquote makes news and gives them something to work with, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yet they hate the fact that Trump made news and won the election. <laughs> it's the funniest thing. He played the media, including social media, like a fiddle. And, and, and it, like they didn't see it coming. It's kind of funny. Well, drug addiction is the best analogy for sure. And, you know, the addict hates the fact that they're addicted. And yet they got to chase that dragon. Mark, even smart people, Mark, can't see this. I mean, just this morning on Good Morning America, the the political commentator, Cokie Roberts, Mm -hmm. she said that Trump was thin skinned because he's Mm -hmm. tweeting. You know, he tweeted uh, demanding an apology from the cast of Hamilton. Because you mean they, the tweet that they just covered um, um, endlessly right, prior to right, that right, <laughs> segment? Right. So she said he's thin-skinned because he demanded this apology. And he says he's thin-skinned because he tweeted that Saturday Night Live is totally one-sided biased show. It's nothing funny mm-hmm. at all. So I look at this and I say, are you kidding me? That's not why he's doing this. He's not thin-skinned. He's playing you so that you'll go on TV and say this stuff. It, and yet, they kind of inside know that, but they can't acknowledge that because if they acknowledge it, they lose. The, it's like they take the coal out of the train engine if they do that. Yeah, they pull and the they curtain can't back, run. right? That's yeah. right. They pull the curtain back, and then they have no, they, the show is over, right? The curtain goes up, the show is up. We're mixing so many metaphors here, but no, it's here are true. a couple, a couple notes I made on all this stuff that I think you'll agree with. First of all, I think it's worth recognizing that, you know, other than that kind of narrow window of time when, uh, you know, in kind of post-World War II America, the history of news was never impartial and never, quote, factual. It was always a, some brand of yellow journalism or another. Uh, Secondly, I thought, you know, why do we ever believe news? I mean, you talk about credibility and trust and so on. 
why do we why did we ever believe it? And the thing I came up with <laughs> is that well, you know, there was a time when news was spoken with one voice and one established set of facts that everyone agreed on. And by everyone, I mean all the media powers that be, which were only a very small number, right? Right. And because of that one voice, that was the only voice we consumers people heard. And so, of course, we trusted that voice. What's not to trust? We Wal have no Wal other... Walter Cronkite. We have no other perspectives. That's <laughs> the only one we're hearing. What do you mean, do we trust it? That's the news. That's what Walter said. Right. Um, TV today remains the main source of news, not Facebook. And there, Trump received an estimated, I saw one statistic, an estimated $2 billion of quote-unquote earned media, earned for the reasons you just identified, because it was so incredibly seductive and worth covering. <laughs> where, do you where, where you don't have one set of facts, you share multiple sets of facts, right? Where I don't have one thing I hear, I, I am forced to share multiple sets of facts. And in that scenario, opinions are indifferent from are are indistinguishable from facts. When consumers are confused by the facts, they go with their gut and their established beliefs because it's just easier. And the, I think the analogy I make is too many facts are like a supermarket shelf crowded with choices. <laughs> Look, facts facts have never moved people. It's just mm -hmm. now that the people are starting to understand that. I mean, the word emotion the root of the word means to set the mind in motion. Mm -hmm. So a bunch of facts mm. without an emotion that moves you, you, you'll basically just sit there all day and not be able to make a decision because the emotion is what moves you to make one decision or the other's decision. Well, in that case, where do facts come into that equation at all? Rationalization. <laughs> no, in other I'm, words, I, they I'm don't. Being, I'm being very they, serious. Facts yeah, but are you, used to rationalize what you want to believe. But you don't need to use facts to rationalize. You can use any statement to rationalize, right? Right. Okay, so data. Data is used to rationalize <laughs> what you want to believe in. And that's, that's just how the brain is wired. And like I said, we never saw this before because we didn't have all of this information pouring in on us that we couldn't tease apart. Like you said, it was very simple. This guy said this. That must be the right. truth. You're listening to Media Unplugged with Tom Asecker and Mark Ramsey. Our topics are really so closely related. I want to move between the first and the second right off the bat. The second we had was, who needs facts when you have belief? And you've already kind of teed this up. But this is the reason why this was, I guess, so uppermost in my mind. Really three reasons, and I'm going to let you roll. I'm just going <laughs> to tee you up, Tom. Oh, yeah. First of all, you know, as we indicated, the post-election navel-gazing. You know, how could the Hillary supporters not recognize that things like technology and international trade trade have left many average Americans without a job and without the skills to get one. I heard one employer say, quote, some people don't want to learn computers. They want to make things. <laughs> well, you know, what you want doesn't always matter, but okay, I get it. So on the other side, how could the people who support Trump not recognize that this man literally was telling you everything you wanted to hear with no concept whatsoever of what could or could not be done? You know, can he create middle America manufacturing jobs? I doubt it very much, but he certainly said he can, and he has time on his side. That's point one. Point two is, I explained to you I had this troll following me on the blog, <laughs> on my blog, and he would, he, he would find a dozen different posts on a dozen different themes, and he would counter each one um, according to one thought that he had about one topic in particular, and it would just be relentless. And I thought, well, this is not persuasion. 
this is just, I'm going to have my say, the exact same say I had on the other dozen posts on your site, because that's my belief. It doesn't matter. We're not having a conversation about facts. We're not having a conversation about persuasion. I'm having my say, and that's it, and that's what I believe. And then the third thing, the one I haven't mentioned to you yet, (laughs) I just this morning finished a book called The Witch of Lime Street, Seance, Seduction, and Houdini in the Spirit World. And you know one of the things I'm fascinated about is this you know, this kind of jazz era uh, seance uh, spiritualist time when Houdini was running around trying to prove uh, that all these uh, seances were fakes. He and wanted phonies to talk to his mother. He missed his dead mother. He, he would love to have talked to his mother, right. but uh, no one was ever able to make that happen. And he knew, he, I mean, here was a guy who knew every trick in the book. Uh, he was a master Um, a a master magician, and he knew that this was just so much magic tricks. And uh, the book is about Houdini and Marjorie, the notorious psychic from your part of the world, Tom, who summoned the spirit of her dead brother and made tambourines play and bells ring and objects fly around the room. Well, you know, Scientific American had a much publicized uh, test of her with a grand prize that she never won. Harvard tested her. Houdini set out to uh, he spent the last portion of his life to prove that she was a fake. And ultimately, when, after Houdini died, more and more data came out. It was more and more clear that this woman, you know, the most successful of her breed, was in fact a fake. Yep. And yet, the people who supported spiritualism and the people who supported what Marjorie stood for um, denounced all this data because it didn't matter what the haters said. It mattered what these people believed. So those are three different... Um, anecdotes, Tom, to, to cue up the idea that, gosh, do I need facts? Um, facts we can all agree on or otherwise, as long as I have belief? Which comes first? <laughs> belief comes first. Look, and in, in interesting, interestingly, I mean, you mentioned Houdini, that he knows every trick in the book, so he, you mm-hmm. know, he was basically debunking all of these people. Right. But think about the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes, Right, the most mm-hmm. rational character in literature, Arthur, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yes, he's in the book too. All right, he was a spiritualist. Oh yes, he was. He believed in fairies, little winged <laughs> creatures. So how could a guy who believed in rationality in Sherlock Holmes how can he believe in fairies? See, that's the nature of belief. He wanted to believe in fairies. He wanted to believe in spirits. This guy lost his first wife to tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. The, the Great War took his brother-in-law, his nephews, his friends, his relatives. He was driven into depression by the death of his son and his brother in the flu epidemic. Mm-hmm. So his, his foray into spiritualism was his desire to, to, to believe that there was something after all of this and that these spirits were here and he may be able to com- commune with these people, mm-hmm. these spirits. So... That's when desire becomes really powerful, the mind starts searching out for information to satisfy that desire, whatever and isn't, it, whatever isn't it is. that, it, Tom, isn't that why if you go to Facebook uh, or your friend, if you're on the left and you go to Facebook, your friend on the right goes to Facebook, you see the blue news and they see the red news. Yeah, and that's why Facebook, you see, wasn't just publishing news feeds, they shifted and they said, we're going to publish things to you based on what you've been looking at. Mm-hmm. So now they're, they're being the filter. They're putting you in a thicker and thicker bubble of belief. 
Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you heard this, but the um, Oxford Dictionaries just named their international word of the year, and it's post-truth. <laughs> and it's defined as an adjective relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Now, I'm going to tell you, that word may be new, and it's driven primarily by the the EU referendum in in the UK and the elections Mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. But the concept is timeless. What has happened is it's been highlighted for everyone to witness in a shared and visceral way that people are not moved by facts. I've been trying to teach people this for a decade, and (laughs) uh, and and it's hard because as soon as you get it, you walk away, and then you start thinking, oh, no, people are like computers. I'll just jam enough facts in there, and they'll spit out the right answer. Right. It's like PowerPoint thinking, right? It doesn't work. Well, but can't you even go beyond that and conclude that I mean, what was the, it, it was object, the, the line you used in that definition, was it objective facts? Objective facts are less uh, influential. Okay. Um, can't you go beyond that and conclude that, in fact, there is no such thing as an objective fact? And well, I, here's why I say that. I, we live you. in a world, we live in a world, no, we live in a universe mm-hmm. where light is a wave and a particle, both at the same time. Hey, I'll give you one better than that. Light doesn't even exist without an eyeball to create it. <laughs> there you go. So, and yeah, I'm, I'm not you. trying to be ethereal here. I'm literally trying to say that as long as there are voices who disagree with the objectivity of facts, the facts become by definition non-facts. And if you don't believe a fact, then that fact by definition ceases to be factual. No, look, listen, the most if you look at science and how we process information and data, you could say that it's an objective fact that the world is globular and not flat. Mm-hmm. But there's still a flat earth society with a bunch of members. <laughs> no, That's I'm true. serious. And, and and if you read, they will show you why it's flat. They have information to back it up. Right. That's that's what people use information to do to back up what they want to believe. So then who <laughs> needs facts when you have belief? I mean, what is the why are we having this debate at all except for the fact that the fact except for what you mentioned which is that people who lost the election are trying to rationalize why and do something about it. Well, I told you why you need facts because in order for a belief to be Look at facts as kind of like uh, the temperature in your freezer in, in, in your, you know, above your refrigerator door. Mm-hmm. The facts are what turn that, uh, that watery belief into ice. That's what, that's what t- solidifies those beliefs because that belief at first is a feeling. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have the feeling that, that this is the right person. Oh, okay, how come? Well, he said this. And now you want that feeling to be solidified in your mind, to form a belief. Now you go out and you start researching. And what you do is you bring in the things that support that feeling and you exclude everything that that doesn't support that feeling, right? Because the things that don't support that feeling, the psychologists call that cognitive dissonance. And your brain doesn't (laughs) want that. That's That's the supermarket shelf with all the items on it. It's too confusing. 
Well, no, that's beyond confusion. It's dissonance. So in other words, mm-hmm. it's telling your brain something opposite of what your brain wants to be told. So it's not just the fact that you're confused. It's, hey, I just read this about somebody that I'm in love with. Oh, it must be a lie. Then, or, <laughs> you under, know what I mean? Under that scenario, then, Facebook is attempting to fix something that is by definition not broken. Because <laughs> they I'm finding... It. I'm finding all the quote-unquote facts I need to support my beliefs. Right. And now Facebook is going about trying to undercut those quote-unquote facts in order to come with some objective truth that none of us are, that we're all not all going to agree on anyway. No, see, what they should really be doing is they should blow up their business model, which was to filter information based on what you were you know, predisposed to. Mm-hmm. And they should dump into people's feeds all kinds of conflicting information. That way, people could start getting used to uncertainty, can be empathetic, can get different opinions, but they're not, they're not about to do that. No, nobody wants that. That's, uh, uh, that's called the newspaper. Why would I want that? That's just what I'm telling you. They created this beast with these algorithms. I, how and I, they, guess I don't know how it, they undo it. It could be argued that we all co-created it with them. No, of course Because we that's the world we want to live in, right? Now, this is an eco-structure. It's an environment, and it's a give and take. They didn't do it to us. We did it to ourselves. They just helped us. Well, this is certainly the most TED conversation we've ever had, Tom. <laughs> is that a good thing? <laughs> that's, I hope it's a good thing. Uh, but it's already gone longer than 18 minutes, so who can say? I think it's, t- it's best now to seg over to Rants and Raves. What do you have this week? Well, I wanted to stay with the topic, so I found this, uh, this, this rave about a guy in uh, Brunswick, Georgia called Joe Chandler, and he decided to not find out who won the election. <laughs> so he went to bed on election night. He didn't know who the winner was, and when he got up in the morning, he felt really peaceful because he didn't know. So he decided to remain that way by staying ignorant for as long as possible. So he's been avoiding (laughs) newspapers, the TV, and the internet. When he goes outside, he wears headphones so he doesn't overhear any presidential news. And he wears a sign that reads, I don't know who won and don't want to. Please don't tell me. So so Chandler is practicing what economists refer to as rational ignorance. It's more rational not to know since there isn't a thing he can do about it anyway. And I suppose that that's fully in line with the serenity prayer, which I implore everyone to practice Mm -hmm. at least during this week of Thanksgiving and in the coming months. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. (laughs) You know, I don't think that that's, I'll bet you that didn't even work for him because all I know is if I think way, way back, I remember walking out of a screening of The Empire Strikes Back back in the day, and there's a long line of people who haven't seen the movie yet, and some jerk somewhere, two or three, four people in front of me says, Darth Vader's Luke's father. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there you go. That's true. Um, I have a couple. They're both, they're both rants, uh, of course, um, but they're quick uh, for those of you listening. Here's the first one. For the third consecutive year, this is from BIA Kelsey, social media is the top marketing channel used by small and medium-sized businesses. They say that among a 1,000 SMBs surveyed, 77.6% say they use social media to promote their business. Now, here's 
and they go on to say, you know, SMBs are sophisticated in the use of social media as a key way to target and continue conversation with customers, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what I thought was so interesting about this, they quoted some stats from their study. Among SMBs surveyed, now these are people, three quarters say they're using social media to, uh, to, to move uh, products for their business. Among SMBs surveyed, 45% have a Facebook page. Now, I thought, <laughs> wait a minute, we were at 78% using social media, but only 45% of Facebook. Well, okay, maybe the rest are doing Facebook ads. No, 25% use Facebook ads, 24% LinkedIn, 23% Twitter. So, what? Tom, I don't understand. I mean, if less than half of you have a Facebook page, but three-quarters of you say you're social, using social media, what, what are, you, are you doing? What are you yeah, using? What, are you just... <laughs> So it doesn't make any sense to me. So I don't, again, I think that people, the right answer, by the way, is yes, I'm using social media. And three quarters of the people answered it correctly. Here's the second one. <laughs> Here's the second one. The average person spends 1.3 years looking for something to watch on TV. <laughs> what? No, Tom. By, by, by the time you get done looking, that season's over. I, as I was going to say, <laughs> I'm not saying they spend 1.3 years watching something on TV. <laughs> Saying they spend that long looking for something to watch on TV. One point three years. If you feel like you're wasting your life trying to find something on TV, a new study says you're probably right. The average person will spend one point three years just flipping between broadcast channels and checking TV guides for something to watch, according to the latest study. It's the same in the U.S. in more than half of the 24 countries in this year's study. The study found the average American broadcast TV viewer will spend 23 minutes a day flipping channels, which adds up quickly. You know, I don't, I mean, I don't mean to laugh, but I, sometimes I'll look over at my wife on, and, and she'll be looking at me because I'm going through the Netflix movies for like the oh, hundredth yeah. time. <laughs> no, the Netflix is slightly different. Listen to this. They spend slightly less time on Netflix, 18 minutes per viewing, se per viewing session trying to find something to watch compared to nine minutes with traditional uh, television. And I, I know you've experienced this. Uh, I mean, I have a Roku. The Amazon platform on Roku is not as good as the Netflix platform. But, you know, in both cases, I feel like is what's new. Let me go through the list of 100 movies to find if there's just one new <laughs> worth watching. And that's taking me 18 minutes. My wife leaves the room. She can't stand it. And who could blame her? Right. Because I keep thinking, you know, it's like, um, uh, it's, it's like being in Vegas, you know, and you're putting quarters into the <laughs> slot machine because you keep thinking one more quarter and I'm going to find that magic movie, movie worth the watching. <laughs> <laughs> and 18 minutes later, <laughs> I give up and go to bed. Oh, man. You know what they're going to do, don't you? If we're spending 18 minutes, they're going to insert fake movies that are really ads. You're going to click on it, and an ad's going to come up. Oh, my goodness. Here it comes. Oh, you're bringing me down. Bringing me down. <laughs> bringing me down. That's Media Unplugged for this week. Please remember to subscribe to us at iTunes or on Stitcher. And while you're there, please rate the show. It helps other folks discover us. By the way, Tom, we're also available on Alexa, are we not? I think we are on Alexa. You want me and to I've ask? And I've tried her? it. I've, I've got. <laughs> go ahead, Alexa. Play media unplugged. No, she said it costs. It costs too much.
That's her belief. I know. The facts are different. <laughs> uh, you can also check, catch us at art19.com, Radio Inc., Media Village, and Net News Check. You can follow Tom on Twitter at Tom Asacker and Mark at Mark Ramsey Media. Send us your questions and comments using hashtag Media Unplugged. If there's a media topic you want us to cover, do tweet us. You can also catch up on older episodes at our website, MediaUnplugged.net. Special thanks to the producer of Media Unplugged, who's really quite talented. Oh, did you is. say, Tom? No, I, I, I'm going to use him every chance I get. Jeff Schmidt, exciting audio for media. You can catch him at jeff-schmidt.com. Happy uh, Thanksgiving to one and all. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Tom. You too, Mark. Thanks. For Tom Asacker, I'm Mark Ramsey. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>